Uh, so is this all going, Adrian? There we go. Just the first slide. Great, thanks. Uh, if I said to you, I'll try to do it with my best accent. You ready? Not happy, Jan. Where's that from? Some younger, young ones might be, Rod. It's a Yellow Pages ad, isn't it? Yeah, we remember it. Not happy, Jan. So the, the, um, and what year do you think it might have been? This surprised me. 1990. Oh, okay, it was 2000. It was 2000. I thought, what? Was people, were people really using the Yellow Pages in 2000? Apparently they were. Uh, it was a great ad. If you haven't seen it and if you're too young, so Jan, the office assistant, forgets to put the Yellow Pages ad in the Yellow Pages. If you don't know what the Yellow Pages are, uh, they were a big book of advertising for companies. I asked Mum and Dad when you get home. They're very, very, very thick, thick, big book with light pages. Um, anyway, and you got two of them delivered to your front door. I'm looking at the guys here and the guys over there. Um, so anyway, Jan forgot to put the ad in, and so Jan gets in trouble with the boss. We don't know the boss's name. But the boss yells out the window as Jan's running down the street, not happy, Jan. Um, that's how it goes. Now, the ad was very, very good. Most of us who are alive at the time remember it. We, we, in fact, it sort of gets its way into Australian speech, doesn't it? If you're not happy about something, you yell at them and you say, not happy, Jan, even though their name's Graham, um, whatever it might be. It's a great ad. It, it promoted the product very, very well. The importance of the yellow pages, a successful business depends on it. If you don't use it, you'll miss out. It, it advanced the product. That's what it did. It advanced the product. So more people use the yellow pages because of this ad. Now, friends, the, the, uh, I think I've got a little picture of there. There she is. Yeah, uh, remember that? The gospel message is, of course, far more than a product we sell. It sounds even a bit silly putting it that way. But it is a message that is worth advancing. In fact, it's a message we must advance. And when that happens, well, it's a cause of much joy, Paul says. The message of Jesus being shared, being spoken of, being lived out, the Apostle Paul says, is cause for rejoicing. So what happens when the gospel is advanced? What happens when the gospel is advanced? Well, hopefully that question will be answered today as we look at this second half of chapter 1. Have your Bibles open in front of you. That'll be great. There's an outline in your bulletin as well. Well, let's pick things up from verse 12. Paul's chains for Christ. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's happened to Paul? Now, Acts 16, you might remember, uh, gives the account, that's, Paul, that's sorry, Luke's uh, history of the early church. That tells us how the church at Philippi started. So how it was planted, how it came about, that story and that history. But Paul writes this letter from Rome to, to the church at Philippi about 10 years later. And much has happened in that time. So what brought Paul to be sitting in a Roman prison cell in 62 AD? Well, we need to read Luke's account of the early church in Acts. 
Now, we're not going to read all that now, particularly the last few chapters. Maybe a bit of homework for you later on. Go back and read those last few chapters. They're quite great. Um, in those chapters, uh, Luke records Paul's arrest and his journey to Rome, which includes a shipwreck. It's pretty exciting. It includes a snake bite. Can't put it down. Wonderful. Um, and his trial as well. So that's what's happened and that's what's led him to be in this uh, prison cell right now. Well, how is this arrest and imprisonment caused to advance the gospel then? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So Paul is in chains because of the preaching of the gospel. That's that phrase, uh, chains for Christ. That's what it means. But notice it's, it's typical Paul uh, self-effacing style. You know, He doesn't go on and on about his suffering. He doesn't tell how uncomfortable the cell is. He doesn't tell us how cold he is. He doesn't tell us how hungry he is. He doesn't tell, how, tell us how lonely he is. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't ask for pity. He continues to look outward. His focus remains on Jesus, on the gospel. And he made sure that everyone knew why he was in there, the preaching of Jesus. He's in chains for Christ. I often wonder, you imagine, that, imagine being the guards placed on duty to look after and, and guard Paul. Man, how about that? The conversations they would have had and wonder if Paul would have gone on and on and on and on. I don't know. I, I think it would have been amazing. So how have his chains caused to advance the gospel? Or put it another way, how has his courage caused to advance the gospel? Well, friends... Courage for Jesus is contagious. I did come across this little picture here I thought was a bit of fun. Um, it's like the Skittles ads. Have you seen those Skittles ads? You know? Is it contagious? And there's all the doctors wondering about that. Uh, I believe it is. You see, courage for Jesus spreads. There's a knock-on effect. It's infectious, courage for Jesus. And we see two effects of Paul's courage here in this passage, in verses uh, 13 and 14, really. There's local witness, so we've already sort of mentioned the guards. The guards, and you notice it says, everyone else. So it wasn't just the guards, it seemed to the palace guard. Pretty much everyone around the palace seemed to know why Paul was in there. It was for the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Jesus. But there's another effect as well, the second one, is that the church is strengthened. You see it in verse 14. Because of his chains for Christ, other Christians, now probably other Christians in the church at Rome, they also have become more confident, more bold, uh, more courageous to speak about Jesus. They spoke the word of God with courage and without fear. The gospel was advanced. That's what it looks like. The church speaks the word of God more courageously and without fear. Boldness for Jesus, courage for Jesus is contagious. Now, I, I want to get your participation now, don't be scared. I'm not going to ask anyone to come up in front and dance. Um, but I might ask you to put your hand up and nod for me. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, someone might want to share something. We'll see how it goes. I want you to put your hand up. If you have in the last week, just in the last week, if you've had a conversation with someone, a non-Christian, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, a conversation with someone about the gospel, about Jesus... Has anyone done that in the last week? There's one. Good. A couple more. A couple more. That's excellent. All right, let's go with the last two weeks. 
couple more hands up, maybe? Did I catch anyone? Catch a few more? All right. What about in the last month? And include, or include everyone. Include everyone. Oh, look at that. Look at those hands. That is really good. All right. That's probably about half of us. And if I said six months, probably more or three months. Oh, and okay, let's just see. Looking at those people um, and who, who they were, uh, just give me a wave if that was at work. Anyone at work? All right, at work. Okay. Anyone at home? Home? No? Home, okay. Uh, anyone, what about other, well, just with friends? Friends, yep, Probably, that's interesting. Most of us are just with friends, okay. Um, what's another option? Any other, what, what have I forgotten? Neighbours. Neighbours, yes, neighbours. Okay, neighbours, thanks, Dennis. Good, neighbours, yep. Um, there's, a, there's a number of options, aren't they? Isn't that, isn't that good? Now, we haven't got the stories. In fact, I would love, if we had more time, I would love each of us to share our stories about what we started sharing and what we talked about and so on. Um, uh, I've, my, my, obviously, my work brings me in lots of opportunities to talk about Jesus, which is great. Um, but I was on holiday a few weeks ago, and I started. Uh, I was reading a book in a cafe, a Christian book, and it started a conversation with the um, the cafe owner, as it turns out. And we just sat there for a while and talked about this little book called In His Image that Michelle um, got me onto. It's really cool. So uh, anyway, it was a great opportunity to talk. Um, but it's encouraging, isn't it, to see all those hands up. Why don't you, at morning tea, if you spotted those people, talk to them about what that, the story. What was it? What was the scenario? Maybe it was the neighbour over the fence as you were clipping the hedge. I don't know. Um, maybe it was someone at work. Get the story together and encourage each other. And, and don't, don't walk away thinking, oh, I haven't talked to anyone about Jesus in ages. That's okay. Um, remember what we said before when we did that mission last year? We just said one little step, just one step. So it might be you invite a friend to talk about Jesus. Or you might, sorry, invite a friend over to have a cup of coffee with them and, and you just start talking about church. and Little steps, step by step. Okay. So uh, that's encouraging. Uh, those conversations, those, those opportunities are such a gift from God. And they encourage the church. You see all those hands that went up. I can do that too. Let's go back to Rome. Back in Rome, well, Paul's uh, thankful that the word of God is being spoken. The gospel is contagious. There's this knock-on effect. Uh, the gospel is advancing. He's encouraged by that. He's thankful for that. There's good news in this church at Rome that some preach Christ out of goodwill. So this is verses 15 to 18. Uh, some preach Christ out of love, support for Paul, defending the gospel. But then there's others. That's the bad news. There are these divisive people we read about in uh, verse uh, 15, and it's picked up again in, um, in verse 17, there are these people who preach out of envy and rivalry, selfish ambition, uh, lacking sincerity, and they're stirring up trouble. And then he says, but what does it matter? Verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether for false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. That's fascinating, isn't it? What's going on there? How does that work? There are people preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. And Paul says, ah, well, what does it matter? Because they're preaching Christ. Paul doesn't say anything about the why and how. Nothing. Why are these Christians behaving in this way? Why were they envious? Why were they moved to oppose him in rivalry? We're not told. It's interesting, we're not told. We don't know. He fills in no detail. So I suspect Paul has 
his own letter to the Corinthians in mind, 1 Corinthians 13, because love keeps no record of wrongs. Maybe he had that in mind. Did they deny, so did they envy Paul's gifts or success? Perhaps Paul's ministry was growing faster, so they were jealous. Were their noses out of joint because when he came to Rome, he rightly became the apostolic focus for the church there. But we're, we could go on guessing, couldn't we? But that's all we'd be doing. See, Paul, Paul is no snitch, if that's the right word. I use the old-fashioned word. He's no, um, I have to look at tittle-tattle, that's the word, or dobber, <laughs> something like that. He doesn't do that. He's no gossip like that. He won't do that. And there is such grace... In Paul's silence. And there's a lesson here, isn't there, about how we respond to anyone who opposes us. And there's a lesson about how we speak about other churches too. We preach Christ. We talk about Jesus. That's all we do. That's the answer. We don't diss other churches or other Christians or ministries. I don't know. Now Paul's motive is simple. He preaches Christ, the advance of the gospel, and that brings him great joy. That's how he responds. Now, there's a desire in Paul, though, which is torn. Let's have a read of this longer section. We'll read it again, verses 18 and following. It's the start of that little paragraph there. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that, in, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now and as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. What shall I choose? I don't know. I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. It's, a, it's such a wonderfully heartfelt couple paragraphs, isn't it? You really, you really feel it. That he wants to be with them. He's torn. He desires and longs to be with the Philippians for their progress in the faith. Being with them, seeing the gospel advance in their lives would bring him great joy. That's the fruitful labour he refers to in verse 22. But remember where he is. He's sitting in a jail cell and death is on, knocking on the door. He, that is a, re, a reality. And I guess he's thinking about death a bit more often than he might have done a couple months back. Or a couple of years back, who knows. Uh, it's a real possibility and so he longs to be with Christ. And friends, that's the, that's the reality, that's the truth about followers of Jesus, isn't it? When they die, they go to be with Christ. It's the Christian's, I don't want to say hope, because it's often confused, but it's the Christian's confident expectation that covers our death. It's why Jesus says to the criminal on the cross who converts on his deathbed thank, you know, due to the grace of God, it's why he says to that criminal, remember what he says? He says, today you'll, see, you'll be with me in paradise. When the Christian dies, they're going to be with Jesus. 
It's why Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that followers of Jesus don't grieve like the rest of men. The reason they don't grieve like the rest of men is because those who die in Christ are with Christ. And, and, and Paul says, well, no offence, guys at Philippi, that's better by far than being with you. <laughs> and I hope they don't take offence by that. Last week, um, oh, two weeks ago, I spent some time camping, first with the family and then on my own, which I told you about a couple of weeks ago. But, um, you know, it was, it was good fun. I had a pretty cool setup in my Land Cruiser. Um, I took out some seats and I made a bed up, and just a single bed. And um, I uh, converted the back and so on, put up some, did some curtains or something like curtains anyway, and there was some, some cutlery. I had one fork, one spoon, one mug, one bowl, one plate, um, just for me. Uh, and so on. It was, it, was, it was pretty good fun. I was a bit lonely at times, but that's okay. See, camping for me is transitory, right? I, I'm, it's not a permanent situation. It, it, I don't mind it. You know, it's good fun at most of the time. It's okay. Like, you know, it has ups and downs, I guess. But camping in a tent or a car is not something I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't. I... I I do long to depart and go home. I do. And friends, that's the nature of the Christian life, isn't it? And something that Paul wrestles with right here in this passage, that this life is transitory, it's like camping. As followers of Jesus, one day we'll depart. We'll pack up the tent, we'll get our fork and spoon and knife and mug, and we'll go home. We'll go home to be with Jesus. And that's better by far. We can look forward to that. But whatever happens, as verse 20 puts it, whether by life or death, Christ will be exalted in his body. So if he stays and keeps ministering to them and serving them and and looks forward to being with them, or if he dies, he's going to be with Christ and Christ will be exalted in his body. And then this wonderful verse that, by the way, uh, ribs are learning at the moment as well. So you could have put all those ribs guys on the spot and they would have got it, I reckon. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. They're just such wonderful words, aren't they? Now, what can you possibly do with Christians like that? Kill them? (laughs) You simply cannot shut them up. Jesus means too much to them. The advance of the gospel too central in life. So for Paul, it's not in his power to choose between service here and departing to be with Christ, between living and dying, between being released from prison for more gospel ministry and paying the ultimate price, and so being released in the presence of Jesus. But say he could choose, what would he choose? He says, I don't know. I love it. I love the honesty of it. Verse 22. He has no way of knowing what will happen and what he ought to choose. And so verse 23. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body and so he can continue his ministry amongst them. Friends, let me ask you, let me ask you a really important question. It would seem obvious, really. What is Christianity? What is Christianity? Perhaps you've been asked that question before uh, and maybe hesitated with your answer. Oh, I don't want to give a long sermon. Oh, I have all these things I want to say. But I, but I, want, to, I want to say it exactly. What, what do I need to say? 
I think here's the answer. And this passage, I think, tells us, this verse tells us as we dwell on this, just this verse 21, Christianity is a person. Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what one author said. All that is rightly associated with Christianity finds its centre of gravity in him. But many people don't realise this. They see only the paraphernalia of Christianity. And so they form false conclusions about it and they reject, reject it because of those conclusions. Now, let me try to illustrate this. Uh, back in October 1967, uh, quite a while ago now, the Soviet Union, as it was called back then, they launched this uh, space probe, you might have heard of it, designed to crash on the surface of Venus, right, planets, and send back vital statistics about surface temperature and atmospheric pressure and blah, 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 that sort of stuff. Now, the space probe stopped transmitting 6,073 kilometres from the centre of the planet, presumably because it had struck the surface. So the information the probe gathered about the temperature and atmospheric pressure seemed legit, unquestionable even. And so the Soviets, they got all excited and started dancing and so forth, and they were, they were, they were pleased. There could well be life on Venus, they concluded. Now, however, scientists have determined that the radius of Venus, so that's the bit from the outside to the centre, the radius of Venus is only 6,049 kilometres. Are you doing the maths? I hope so. Meaning that the probe stopped transmitting when it was still 25 kilometres above the surface of Venus. Uh-oh. Which meant that all the figures were misleading. They were all wrong. They didn't give figures for the surface of Venus. They gave figures for 25 kilometres up from Venus. 25 kilometres above the planet's surface. And it didn't provide, really, the information the scientists need to know. Now, in the same way, far too many well-meaning people stop receiving data when they are miles from the heart of Christianity. For many people, a knowledge of Christianity stops at contact with those who claim to be Christians, uh, maybe more culturally Christians, they identify Christianity with those so-called Christians, and since many of those believers are far from what God intends them to be, this, gives, this data gives them a false impression. Other people actually get into the atmosphere, uh, perhaps as far as the organisation. Then they conclude that Christianity is just what we see from the outside. It's, it's the visible church, you know, the institution. It's like identifying life with just a test tube full of chemicals. That's not what life is. Other people get as far as the ceremonies of church and they often pass for Christians because they do all the right religious things. You know, uh, They participate properly. And some people actually come close, as close as the creeds and they can recite the creeds but unfortunately, this, is, this too is less than Christianity, important as the creeds are, though. Christianity is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing about Christianity will be rightly understood until there is faith in Christ and a personal relationship with him, where to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what happens when the gospel is advanced? What happens? What do we see? Well, we see 
trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we see. Who died for our sin, who rose again for, to give us life. We long to serve that Jesus through his church. We long to be with Jesus. It's better by far. And we're not ashamed of Jesus. Courageous and fearless. Because courage for Jesus is contagious. It is. We preach Jesus. How about I pray for us and ask God to help us with those things and help ask God to use us to advance the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you that you've drawn us together as your people. We ask, Lord, that you would, help, you would use us to advance the gospel. Help us to be courageous for Jesus. Lord, we long to be with you. But Lord, also, well, we long to serve each other and help us to do that through your church. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that, that we can read it and that we can talk about it. We can share over morning tea times when we share the word of God with others. And uh, we thank you for that great encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I didn't say at the start either that, that, that we...